we will say uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. And uh, it is good to have the folks join us that are online and everything. And we're glad that they're there. Glad we're able to provide that for you, for uh, them. And uh, again, we're, we're excited to see you here this morning uh, as uh, it is a holiday, kind of a weekend, four-day weekend. Linda and I went up north for uh, just a day to kind of do something for our anniversary. And uh, I was uh, impressed with how many people were going north on Friday. And then I was really impressed on how many people were coming back on Friday. <laughs> so it was like, well, okay. So, uh, but it is good to have everybody here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you will, this is where we've been. Uh, again, this is Thanksgiving weekend, if you will. And I hope you had a good one. Uh, no, not, no drama is always a good one. And no big uh, issues and so forth. And so this morning is lesson 17 in this big series that we've been looking at that I entitled The Big Picture. And I did that, so, and we've been looking at things, and I want to draw it all to a conclusion today, okay? Yeah, all right, everybody's, yeah, 17's enough, uh, you know? And uh, it's interesting, in Grace School of the Bible, in prep and delivery class, uh, Dad talks about, don't always go heavy doctrine all the time. Every now and then, throw them a, you know, a piece of dessert, and I have never been able to do that. I figured out some stuff about Christmas and everything. Oh, man, this is so exciting, and it's heavy. So I apologize for that. But it is good to know that when you look around the world, you look around our culture, our society, our nation, it is, it is imperative to understand what is going on and why it's functioning and doing and why man does what man does. And then to step back and to understand that, Really, God created man to do something else. And the adversary stepped in and rebelled against that plan and uh, decided he's going to do something different. And he put in front of man a choice. Okay? Trust the truth of God or trust the lie. And man has that choice laid there. That's what freedom is. Freedom is a, is a matter of choice. If I tell you you're free, and then I go tell you what to do, you're not free. Freedom is you have a choice, an option. So we've been looking at that. We've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of information about creation and Lucifer and Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and all of this, these issues that come with that. And this morning, I just kind of want to work through some of the details really kind of wrap this up really with an idea of being thankful because you and I ought to be thankful that we are a part of his ultimate purpose in creation and we're not just you know as the old saying goes whistling Dixie here we're not just twiddling our thumbs we are an integral part of the ultimate plan of God and creation and so forth and I just kind of want to spend some time with that starting again where we really launched out of Ephesians 5 verse 18 and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit and again that issue of the wine that isn't again going out and having too much to drink or any of that specifically what Paul's dealing with is the issue of of that religious system 
We looked at Revelation 17, where, where that, that, that woman there, the vain religious system, has made the kings and the inhabitants of the earth drunk with her fornication, the wine of her fornication. And he's talking about the religious system, and he's talking about religion. That's why, but hold on, flip over to, uh, to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, just real quick. And, and the reason for that is because there's an issue that you and I need to be aware of in our life, in our walk. You, you got 2 Corinthians 6? Stick your finger there and look back at Ephesians 5, okay? Because there's something about our walk that you and I are to be acutely aware of. In Ephesians 5, look at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. So the wisdom here has a context. You know, the wisdom here isn't knowing how to solve the quadratic equation. The wisdom here isn't understanding DNA. We looked at the DNA, the book of DNA that David references. We've looked at that. It's fascinating. But what does that book of DNA point you to? A creator. That's what it points you to. So the wisdom here is very specific. Look at the verse 17. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's where we're to have a walk. And in order to have a walk of wisdom in what the will of the Lord is, and this is going to be critical because of what we talked about last week, about how, what, how God looks at creation and he wants his creation run by sons. Okay? Lucifer is called the son of the morning. The angels carry the title sons of God. And sons, adults, in scripture, adults are those who genuinely, willingly choose to participate in what the Lord is doing. That demands then that you understand what he is doing. In, second, in Kings 22 there, uh, 1 Kings 22 last week when we looked over there, what did the Lord do? He says, Ahab's got to die. And he invites the creatures of his creation, that heavenly host, that heavenly congregation to come and give him ideas. One said this, one said that. Then the spirit comes in and says, well, let's go put a lying spirit in the prophets. And he goes, yeah, let's go do that. I like that. And boom, that's what he did. But he allows the participation. What was the will of God? Ahab's got to die. How are we going to get that done? Well, he entertains, he allows the adults to sit at the table and to talk. He never, never, ever in Scripture is he having children operate and function in creation. They're always adults, okay? The reason this is all critical here is in our walk, our walk is, is to be in the area of understanding what the will of God is today. What is God doing today in the age of grace, in the dispensation of grace? What is he doing today? But also, what is the adversary doing, see? Now, just, I told you 2 Corinthians 6. Look, flip over there real quick. Notice something with Paul dealing with the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians were, were a great group of people that illustrate what it is to uh, 
do whatever you want to do, but yet then at the end of the day, claim God's grace. Have a lifestyle any way you want, but yet I'm saved by grace, you know. And they're, they're, not, they're, very, uh, they're, they're very free with their behavior, and they say, see, I can do anything because I have God's grace. And, you know, Paul deals with that and smacks them up, reproves them, <laughs> smacks them upside the head with it. says, no, your life is to not be that way. Notice verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with who? Unbelievers. Now, everybody in Christianity says, see, you can't marry an unbeliever. This isn't about marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 deals with that. By the way, if you're a believer, you're not to marry an unbeliever. But not because of 2 Corinthians 6, but because of 1 Corinthians 7. Okay? So then what are we talking about here being unequally yoked? For what? Now watch him to do this. For what fellowship? Notice how he takes unequally yoked, and then he's going to lay out a bunch of words, synonyms and anonyms, and all of this about what it is to be unequally yoked. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Notice how he's not talking about... If, if you're going to be unequally yoked with believers and you think it is not to have any activity with unbelievers, you know you can't eat today. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't get gas in your car. Because who owns the businesses? More than likely, an unbeliever. You, you don't know for sure unless they've got it plastered somewhere that they're believers. So is, this is not about, you, folks, we live in the world. We're not to be of the world, see. But we have to live in it. So what's he talking about? What agreement, what fellowship, what concord, what communion? Verse 16, for ye are the temple of the living God. And God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. The unclean thing in the reference is Baal worship. The unclean thing is the unrighteousness. It's the darkness. It's the infidel. It's the idols. It's religion. You don't be- now go back to Ephesians 5. You don't belong in the religious system. Why? Because you're the temple of the living God. He's doing something else. So how do I recognize that? How do I see that? And you begin to understand that, hey, this is what God's doing. What is the will of God? He would have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we get our salvation, our gospel right, and we get that correct. And then we come over and we begin to learn, uh, learn the word rightly divided. And, what, and by the way, rightly dividing the word of truth. It isn't making a division between truth and error. It's making a division between truth and truth and making those distinctions. And you make those distinctions not to win an argument, not to win the debates. You make those distinctions so that you know where to go to find the information to you, a Gentile, on how you ought to be living your life. It's fascinating to me that only five chapters of the Apostle Paul, Romans 1 to 5, deals with your justification. After that, from chapter 6 of Romans to the end of Philemon, it's about how you're to live your life and why you're to live a life 
well-pleasing unto God. Why you're to have a walk worthy. Why? What? Because there's a, there's a part of the plan that you are an integral piece of. And you need to understand that. Look over at Ephesians chapter 6. And here again, as he begins to lay this out. So the be not drunk with wine we're in his excess isn't talking about drinking alcohol. It's talking about don't be a part of that vain religious system. But then he says being filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit there, that has your life under the control and operation of the Word of God, of the Spirit of God coming and working and, and working out his life through your life where you're at. You're not where I'm at. Okay? You're where you're at. So where you're at and what you're doing. Greg was just telling me about uh, Jessica, uh, you know, being third in the state in the horseback thing. Okay? And that's great news. But you know what? That's where she's at. You know where the guy that's the person that's first in the state is? He's at first of the state. He doesn't have to pay the entry fees to get into the tournaments. Guess what third does? Paying the bill. Why? Because he's where he's at, she's where she's at. That, you're where you're at. You're not where I'm at, you're where you're at. So where you're at, what are we going to do? We're going to live as who we are in Christ. And the, and the wonderful thing about that is Ephesians 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Look at where we're to be strong. We're to be strong in the Lord. That's where we're to be strong. We're to be strong in who we are in Christ. That's why when you live life, you live as who you are in Christ. When you make decisions, you do it as who you are in Christ. That's why it's critical to know that, to understand that, to constantly be reminded. You know, you think I tell you this a lot? You know, there he goes again, harping on who you are in Christ. You know what? I tell myself this every day, every hour, every minute of the day. Because I know me a little bit. I don't know me all the way. But, and you know what? I have to constantly remind my. We got in the car. We went up there to out of Africa, Camp Verde area. We come back down. And, and you know what the tendency to do is, right? Get in the left-hand lane and go fast. I got halfway down there. I go, you know, Rick, if there's a bump anywhere, you're going to be right up in that back guy's back end. And the guy, so you know, you move over. And what do you do? You slow down. Then the guy behind you is honking, right? Get out of the way. You know. Well, I'm in the right-hand lane, right? You know, so what do you have to do? You have to make adjustments along the way and say, hey, I'm not going to go that fast because the situation dictates not to. The other thing is, as Linda's going over there, I wish you'd please slow down. And I'm like, can you see the speedometer And I'm, as I'm covering it? And, you know, and she's like, yes, I can. In the infinity, I can. I go, well, then, man, we've taken the infinity from now on. Oh, I can't see. 610, where am I strong? In the Lord, who I am in the Lord. But then it says, and in the power of his might. Two things there. The power of his might. Where do we see his might? You remember what Ephesians 1 tells us? We see it at Calvary. Remember that? No, Ephesians 1, look over there. You're in Ephesians. Everything in Ephesians pulls off of something else within Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and not only raised him from the dead, but and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality, powers, and mights, and dominions, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. See, where do, I'm, I'm in 610. I'm strong in who I am in Christ. The blessings, Ephesians 1, 3 to, well, 3 to the end of the chapter. But I'm also strong in the might the power of his might. What's his, the power of resurrection? The power of the fact that he said that he's going to resurrect me one day. And you know what? There's a day of redemption of the purchased possession. There's a day of redemption coming my way. And you know what I can do? I can stand there in who I am in Christ and the fact that he's promised me eternal life, resurrected far above, in the heavenly places, in the positions of the principalities, powers, mights, dominions, thrones, and all that good stuff. And you know what he says? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what? Run away. Deflect. No, stand. Stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We need to remember that in your life. Where is our battle? It isn't with people. Again, it isn't with people. Article in the news the other day talking about Thanksgiving and how you should handle people, that family that come, that have the opposing political view that you do. The opposing view of COVID and vaccinations and, you know, getting the ouchy fauci and all that stuff. How do you do it? How do you deal with it? What are you to do? You know, you, folks, your battle isn't with that. By the way, you know the answer to that is Romans 14. That's the answer to that. Let everyone esteem the day as they esteem the day. Let them decide for themselves. You decide for yourself. And you know what you do? You don't rule and reign in over anybody. You ought to go read Romans 14. It's a fascinating chapter about how to deal with opposing viewpoints. What do we do? You stand, don't you? Because what's the devil going to do? The devil's going to come in. He's got a while. He's got a trick. And he's going to try to trick you. And we are battling against, notice verse 12, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, last week we looked down through that. We are in a spiritual battle. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. By the way, flesh and blood, what are we looking for other people to do? Get saved. You don't look for that. You look for the argument. I got a political view and I'm going to win. No. Has anyone loved you enough to ask you where you would spend eternity? And if they haven't, I'm asking you because I love you, the person, and I want to know where you are going to spend eternity. Based upon the authority of God's word, can I show you? Will you allow me to show you the verses? And in Because what are you after? You could care in the end of the day. When you die and when they die, the fact that they're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, progressive, communist, whatever, ain't going to matter. What matters? Where, where's their inner man going? Where's their soul going? That's why we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It doesn't matter. 
Oh, but yes, it does, Rick. No, it doesn't. Well, our country, dude, listen, you live in a sin-cursed creation. Where do you think this country was going? Enough time and effort and water under the bridge, it'll erode anything. That's what's happening. You get all balled up in that. What does Paul say, verse 12? That's not your battle. Your battle is with the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness. The battle, the real battle, is the difference between the troop, the, the blah, 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 between the truth program and the lie program. There's where the battle is. The program between spiritual issues and the darkness issues. The difference there in Romans 1 where they profess... Look at Romans 1. The difference between saying the God of the Bible is right and truth is right versus, well, maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm on my own God. Romans 1, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were what? Do you know what separates you from the heathen? Thankfulness does. Now, Calvary does the biggin. But thankfulness does. You need to be thankful. What did they do? They but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was what? Darkened. The lights went out. That's why Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And ye who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's your spiritual case. He's not talking about physically. Physically, you're walking around looking good. You know, I'm glad you got dressed this morning. You're looking good. You know? He's talking spiritually. Verse 22, what happens? Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? You know what they did? They opened their mouth. And they showed their ignorance. And if you drop down to verse 28, here it is. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want God. I'm going to do it. My way. I'm no God of the Bible. Isaiah 5 says they call good evil and evil good. Do you see that today in our, in our times? Oh, yeah, all day long. And then you go, well, how can that be? Well, have you not read? That's part of the rulers of the darkness. Look in verse 25 of Romans 1. Here's the lie program in a verse. Everybody, I love that. Everybody, hey, Pastor Rick, in one verse can you tell me? Well, you, know, you can't always do that. But here's a verse that you can, Romans 1.25. What's the lie program all about? What's Satan doing? What's Lucifer been doing since the fall? He's been changing the truth of God into a what? Into a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What's the goal? What did he do to Eve? Eve, remember, we looked at this. Eve, God doesn't want you to know something. You come and trust me. I'll give you the decoder ring. I'll give you the code book. I'll give you everything. And then you will know. You will be as a God. And Eve says, yep, I like that. And by one man, sin entered into the world, and death passed upon all. And just as by one, sin came in, by one, so now is justification and righteousness. 
And what man does is man sits back and says, I'll take the lie, pie. You had pie over the weekend? I didn't get an apple pie. I got a pecan pie. Much better. I'll have a piece, I'll have another piece of the lie pie, please. And what happens then is the power of darkness takes some impact. Come back over with me to, well, back to Ephesians 6, just real quick here. We're to understand all that. We saw Revelation 17, the, the title of the vain religious system, the mystery, Babylon the Great. Mysteries, it takes, an, it takes a mystery form, a secret form, not mystery dispensation of grace form. In, in Thessalonians, he says, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And people go, oh, it's a mystery. No, mystery and in a secret form. What did he say to Eve? Eve, if you trust me, I will give you the way to decode all this. I will let you see. God doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to eat of the tree of what? Remember? What is it? The tree of knowledge? The tree of the knowledge of the good and evil? The knowledge? He doesn't want. So if you just trust me, I, if you take and eat of this grape, because it wasn't an apple, it was a grape. If you eat of the vine tree over here with me, just come on over. Look, isn't it so pretty? Doesn't it look so good? And, but, you know, and it does. It's beautiful. Grapes in their full bloom are gorgeous. And you know what? And they taste so good right off the vine. And, boom. and she goes, yep, it's pleasant to the eye, and it's exactly what I need, and it'll make me wise. And that mystery form, that secret thing that he's got, he's trafficking. Remember Isaiah, he's in Ezekiel, he's out trafficking his merchandise. He's out promoting the system. And you know what? He says... I got you. And Eve says, yeah. By the way, the mystery of iniquity, that word iniquity, everybody wants a definition of it. If you think about iniquity and you put an equal sign, satanic policy of evil. Because every time you see the word iniquity, somewhere in the context is a reference to the adversary in some manner or form. Take that to the bank. Now you'll show me one that I didn't see, and that'll be good, because then I'll learn, okay? But when you see that word, why? Because he's got this system. Ephesians 6, look at verse 12 again. Notice again where it says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of dark, darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's an organized system. There's a religious system, a spirit spirit spiritual force, if you will, that seeks to carry the believer away from the truth of God's word. And he uses religion to do it. The lie, take God's, what God's doing and just go off one degree. Because one degree off is a lie. It's not true. Take it, boom. And what, what, where, where are we at? We're in spiritual warfare, aren't we? But we're in principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, spiritual wickedness, and so forth. So we're up into an organized structure here that sits under, come over to Colossians chapter 1, that sits under the control of Ephesians 2. He says that 
the course of this world and has by the prince the power of the air. And it sits under in Colossians 1, verse 16. We looked at this last time, and this is really where I'm trying to get us to. And we've got 20 minutes left before noon, so hopefully your turkey leftovers will be left over when we get there. Don't look at the clock. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. Well, okay. Look at Colossians 1, 16. For by him were all things created. Now watch him define for you the all things that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So what do we have? We have two realms, don't we? We have a heaven realm, invisible, and we have an earthly realm, visible. Which realm do you see? The visible, the earth, right? We function in it. Do you see me? Now you see me, now you don't. No, you see me, right? No, <laughs> go back to sleep, kid. Okay? No, what happens? You got this realm. You've got this structure. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You've got realms. You've got some structure. Now watch what he does with the structure. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. In Ephesians 1, he's got mites and he's got a couple more. But notice thrones. What's a throne? It's a governmental term, isn't it? What's a dominion? Governmental principality. You see the word prince there. Principalities. Back in Chicago there, you, you have suburbs, you know, you would call them, but they're, sometimes they're called principalities, territory, idea, townships, if you will. And they're principalities. What are, that's government. There's a governmental structure here. There's, a, there's positions of rank and authority. Now, finish verse 2. This is where I want to pick up with you. All things were created by him, right? Who created the ranks of government in the heavens and in the earth? Who did it? The Lord Jesus Christ did. John 1, he's the creator. There he is. But now it says what? And for him. So when he created a, cre he created a creation that is going to, use creatures who will intelligently, willingly participate with him in that creation. He develops a creation. Proverbs 3, we looked at it. Wisdom was there. He has a blueprint. He does this. When he says, and, and uh, and, God, and God saw it, and it was good. It wasn't good in that it was, all oh, right, you know. It was good in that it matched the blueprint. There's a purpose. You go read over there in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in second coming passages and in creation, he's already laid out the ammo dumps in the universe for the great war that's coming. It's all there. It's already there. It's, he doesn't have to say, okay, wait a minute, we've got to move troops on the field. It's already there. He's got them laid in. He does this, but he's looking for by him and for him. He wants the creatures. He desires sons, that adults that are willing, genuine, participating with him, understand what he's doing, delight in what he's doing, go and do it without having to be told to do it. Man, the greatest thing to being a dad is when you can look at your kids and not have to tell them what to do, but watch them by, by understanding what needs to be done, go and do it. And never have to say, did you do that yet? But what? 
do it. Now, your little children, what do you have to do? You have to train them. You have to teach them. He desires the son, the adults, to be in charge. By the way, that's a great thing to know that God didn't create robots and autotrons and transformers and all this stuff. He created creatures that had the ability to willingly, genuinely want to participate. Now, Isaiah 14, what happened? Lucifer falls. I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne far above. I will do this. I will sit. And, and we looked at this last time. What did he do? He threw, out an, he threw out an opposing viewpoint. God says, here's the truth of what I'm doing. Lucifer says, yeah, here's the lie. Here's the truth of what I'm doing. <laughs> Here it is. And the angelic host did what? Some went with him and others went stayed put. The elect angels and the fallen angels. By the way, that's why God created hell. Remember Matthew 25, he created hell for who? The devil and his angels stopped that rebellion. So there's a rebellion introduced in it, isn't it? Please shake your head, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? That rebellion doesn't stop and thwart what God's doing. It just now put a choice into creation. The heavenlies, the, the earthly, the ranks, they're organized, they're real, they're for him. But right now, they're in rebellion. They're under the authority of the adversary. That's what Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and other passages is talking about. God's design... He's designed his creation to be run by sons, people who can participate genuinely, willingly in the operation of his creation. And when Lucifer falls and he's, he's cast vain, profane out of the mountain of God. By the way, that's the third heaven, just FYI. He introduces rebellion. So God says, that's okay. I got a plan. Don't you remember Mr. T and the A-team? I love it when a plan comes together, you know. Bad attitude, boom, boom, B-A. Boy, you guys, you're a little living life. Come on now. You guys, I know you're a little more holier than I am, aren't you? All right, that's fine. Well, of course, of course. You know, for you young people, just YouTube it. It'll pop up, okay? You know, they're remaking a lot of those shows, and you watch them, and you go, that's pathetic. You know, the old, the originals are the best. You're in Colossians 1, right? God says, I got a plan. I have a reconciliation plan. I'm going to make a little dirt man named man. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use man to reclaim my creation. I'm going to use a man to go in there and to take it back. So what's he say to Adam in Genesis 1. Go out and do what? So do it. Fill it up. Go get it back for me. You're the, you're the king. You go and do it. You know what Lucifer says? No problem. I get this guy. Watch him. Watch me. I'll use his wife and I'll get him. And he gets Adam. And God says, that's okay. Because I still got my plan. And that ultimate plan of one day sending his son into humanity. We have Christmas coming. What does everybody celebrate Christmas to be? The birth of Christ. 
Wait, next month, we'll, we'll dispel that, okay? Again, that's religion, all right? With the birth of his son, by the way, it's late September when that happens. With the birth of his son into humanity, God can now do what? Do for humanity what humanity could not do for itself because of sin. He had a plan. He had a mechanism. He had a plan to come and to reconcile, thwart the rebellion, turn the rebellion back to, turn the heaven and the earth back to himself. You with me? Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things. Now, what would the all things be? The thrones, the dominions, the principalities, the powers, the mights, the every other name that's named, that, the, the context, the all things, verse 16. He might have the what? The preeminence. Preeminence, top dog. He is the potentate of the potentate. He's the Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He's the only potentate, is how the verse says it. Okay? He's the top, isn't he? Now watch verse 19. For it pleased who? The Father. That in him should all the fullness dwell. The Father's will, the Father's pleasure, the Father's purpose. For the heaven and the earth, for everything. The purpose of all of it was to exalt and glorify his Son. See that? Verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. Ooh. Where is peace made? At the cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. Now watch Paul catch you because you're going to say all things what? All the trees and the bushes and the animals? No. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Well, what's in earth and what's in heaven? Verse 16. Government. The right and the authority... To rule the universe. Who has it? Who gets it? Ultimately, it's going to be back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's will, the Father's purpose, it pleased the Father that all of the heaven and the earth, all of the governmental structure of the universe was to come back underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, verse 20, is going to reconcile all that. He's, he's telling us he has a plan to reconcile the whole system, to bring it all back under his headship, and he's going to use man to do it. Come back to Ephesians 1. Ah, you know what, Philippians, just stay where you're at. Let me just talk you through it real quick. You've got heaven and you've got earth. He's going to use man to deal with the earth. We know from Genesis 3 that that issue of man becomes the seed of the woman. 
And the seed of the woman moves out to the seed of Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, moves into the 12 tribes, which is called Israel. Then through Israel, there's one tribe, Judah. And in Judah, there's one family, Jesse. And in Jesse's family, there's one boy, David. And in David's family, there's one young man, Nathan. And through him comes the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that the true Son of Man, there he is. He's, and what does he do? He comes, and he comes into his own, and his own receive him not, but yet he still goes to Calvary, and he dies for them. And the reconciliation program for the earth belongs, and it is invested in the nation of Israel, in a kingdom, in a king, in the little town of Jerusalem, over there in Palestine, and he's the one, and it's all done through the blood of his cross. Verse 20. Calvary covers it all, literally. But then you say, wait a minute, there's another part, heaven. So in heaven, what does he do? Well, he reached down on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 and touched a man, Saul of Tarsus. Made him, I love that in Acts 13. Saul, who also is called Paul. We're going to use your middle name, Paul. We're going to, Saul was his first name, Hebrew name, Paul, his Gentile name. We're going to use your name Paul now. And with Paul, he reveals the mystery program. The earthly program is called prophecy. In Romans 16, 25, he says to now the power, him the power to establish you according to my gospel, according to the preaching of Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery. That's how we preach Christ today. And the mystery program. And then he says, and by the way, in the mystery program, he's going to change humanity. Come over to Philippians 3. He's going to move humanity. He's going to give humanity a change. He's going to call him a new man, a new creature. Something new is going on. The church, the body of Christ. And he's going to give them the heavenly government. Israel gets the earthly government. By the way, in the millennial kingdom, David is resurrected and sit back, set back on the throne as king of Israel. The 12 apostles sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a governmental structure. And you and I come and we're in the heavenly places and we're going to sit in places of, a th of, of position and authority based on what comes out of the judgment seat of Christ, which is based upon what you do here in time as you're doing what? Learning, growing, you're you're living who you are in Christ, where you're at. And when you do that, he, he's the judge. He reveals that. The Father sets you there. And you got all this stuff going on. By the way, we've looked at all of this. And in Philippians 3, verse 20, he says, you're going to get a new body. Verse 20, for our conversation is where? Do you know that the only group of people that ever said you're going to die and go to heaven is you and I, the church, the body of Christ? Israel never said that. David says, I'll see, Job says, I'll see my Savior one day here on the earth. He never says, I'm going to die and go to heaven. You know what we say? Absent from the Lord, I mean, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I hope you're going to heaven. Why? Because where's our conversation? Heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even, now watch, to do what? Subdue. That's Genesis 1 language, to Adam. Subdue it. 
subdue, subdue what? All things. What's the all things? Colossians 1 defines that for you as that governmental rank and authority out there. Are you with me? All right, holding on now. We're almost done. We get a resurrected body. We get a glorified resurrected body that gives us the capacity to function in the heavenly realm. To bring it to reconcile the heavenly places back under his authority, his headship. And we've been made a participant of something that is bigger than what's going on right now in this puny little time of our life. We are a part of a cosmic plan. You've been abducted by aliens. Whoo, not get the stern going, right? No, you have, folks, we're part of a heavenly plan. We're part of a cosmic plan for the sun. Real quick, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. You see, when we talk about this, people go, oh, well, you can't do this. No, you need to know about this stuff. Why? Because in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that, that's how fast this is moving. You're not going to be able to say, hold on a minute, let me get YouTube. What'd Rick say? What'd Bill say? What'd Henry say? You're not going to be able to say that. You're already there. Now, the joke would be, you're going to see Pete at, Peter at the pearly gates, but that ain't going to happen. You're going to be there, and you're not. You're going to go, what's up, Doc? And boom, you're there. Better to spend your time now learning about what's going to happen and what's going on so that when it does happen, you're not sitting there going, what's up, Doc? You're there going, praise the Lord, hallelujah, uh, here we go. Woohoo! And as crazy as some of you may looking at me maybe think I am, you ought to think about what crazy does. And what it looks like. Because this stuff separates out who's going to really understand what's happening. And that's the goal. Because what is the will of God? What's he doing today? He's creating a body of believers whose design and function is going to be to reign and rule in the heavenly places. And you're a part of that. And we participate in that cosmic, universal, ultimate plan that he had in creation. And you know it, verse number 9 of Ephesians 1, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Notice the will of the Father is made known, and it's his good pleasure. It's his purpose. You're going to get that resurrected body, Philippians 3.21, according to his plan and his purpose and his genius. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Come over to chapter 2. See, folks, we need to be thankful for this. We need to have a heart of thanksgiving. We need to have a heart of understanding as well. But our status as Gentiles, what does is, what is Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 say? What, where is your status as a Gentile? You're without God. You're without Christ. You have no hope. You're all washed up. You're left outside, looking in, going, let me in. And they're like, no, slam the door, lock it. You're in trouble in time past. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now we're fellow citizens. Now we are a part of. 
Why? Because God changed the plan. He had to change the plan right where he did, when he did, so that he could then go do what? Have people to go and reconcile the heavenly places. Do you know that if God poured out his wrath in Acts chapter 9 instead of his love and grace and mercy, he would not have had the opportunity for you and I to be here today? Because the prophetic program would have ticked right on. We'd be in the, we would literally be in the millennial kingdom, if not out and into the, age, into the new heaven and the new earth, according to prophecy. So then what, who got the heaven? The adversary does. You see, you ought to be thankful for that. You've got to understand that. The rebellion doesn't stop. You're in Ephesians 1, right? The rebellion doesn't stop. The plan of God. He had a pre-planned answer. He knew he could only trust himself. So the plan was for God to become man and do for man what man couldn't do for himself. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's when he had the plan before the foundation of the world. And you know what he planned? He planned to take a group of uncircumcised, rebellious, idol-worshiping, heathen dogs and offer them the free gift of eternal salvation, of eternal life, by just simply trusting him. He had that plan. And he says, I'll keep that a secret. And we're going to do something else. And the cross work of his son sits in the middle of all of the plan. And it's the crosswork of his son that's going to provide for man the opportunity to be usable. In Colossians, in Colossians 1, he says, he's made us meet to be partakers. Meet, qualified. You're here in verse 11. In whom also we have obtained a what? An inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? You have to leave it. It's got to be left to you. You got to be part of the family, right? You don't get an inheritance. Well, I guess you could get an inheritance if you didn't belong to the family, but in this case, you have to be what? In the family. If you look across the page at verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the riches. Isn't that interesting? that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance, where? In the saints. Who's that? That's you. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. And you know what he says? You're valuable to me. You're important to me. I've had a plan all along to have man come and participate willingly as, a, as an adult, as a son in my family, to come and to learn and to grow and to do and be willingly a willing participant in it, to carry out my will. And what my will is, is to have my son be the head over all of the government of the universe, to be over all of it. And you know what? You get to play a part with me. And our job, you're in Ephesians, come back over there to chapter 5, our job is to come along, Ephesians 5, and we are to have, verse 15, a worthy walk, a walk of wisdom. And I'll be honest with you folks, 
what our walk in life is all about is what we've been talking about all morning, about being a willing participant. Think about this. God tells us his will. He's made it known. Then he says, I want you to take my will and put it into practice in your life. Think about that. He says, here's my will. Now, let's look at what it looks like in your life. So the question is, okay, well, what do I do with it? Well, figure it out. How do I do the will? Well, let's figure that out. Right? So where do we go? Well, let's go over here to Dr. Phil and Sister Susie. No. Dr. O. No, where do we go? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for what? Instruction in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. What is perfect? There's a comma in that verse, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Hey, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over and I'm going to get in the word. Because in his word, he's going to tell me what I need to do and how I need to do it. He says, here's my will, and then he says, here's how you're to do it. Ephesians 3, verse 9, we were over there. We're to, we're to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, aren't we? I'll be honest with you, folks, that's great freedom. When he can say, here's my will, here's how to know it, how to operate it. Now, you go do it in your life. Don't look like Rick. You look like you. And Rick, don't you look like them. You look like Rick. That's great freedom. That's why Paul would say over there to the Corinthians, we, don't all, we need to all be saying the same thing. Saying the same thing doesn't mean we do the same the thing the same way. It says what? The end result's the same. We're saying, because it looks different. You're in Ephesians 5, I hope. Our faith, folks, is to rest in, is to rest. An intelligent understanding of God's word to you. And that is what is going to allow the Spirit of God to take the power of His Word to then strengthen your inner man. And that is what provides that inner compulsion to have His life be lived out of your life for His purpose. And if you're not doing that, if that's not what's happening, then something's wrong. It isn't wrong with the word, so you don't need to change the Bible. It isn't wrong. It's wrong with how you, you know why? Because we try to do what? Help God. The inner compulsion to do has to come from the word of God resident in your inner man. Because if the compulsion comes out of you doing it, then guess what? It's you doing it. But when the compulsion falls over there to the Corinthians, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I labor more abundantly than you all, but it's not I. It's the grace of God that lives in me. That's why Ephesians 5 here, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, that's why he then goes on and talk about your walk. 
the issues of volition, verse 19 to 21, the issue of marriage and life and 22 and, and following there. And, and in, in chapter 6, family. In chapter 6, you've got this interaction with the world. Why is all of that that? Why does he nitpick right there? Because that's where you live. And you're to be living a life filled with the Spirit under the control of the Spirit, having his life live out through your life. That's why he starts with, don't be a part of that vain religious system. Because that system is geared to have your walk not look, not be what it's supposed to be. Again, it's just off one degree. Folks, we're to have a walk of faith. We're to be lived by faith. We're to have this the Spirit of God working in our lives by faith. By the way, if you struggle with that, you know what you need to do? You need to quit reading what you're reading and start reading three chapters a day through Romans through Philemon. Yeah, but I'm reading the Bible. Stop. If you take Romans to Philemon and you read three chapters a day, you'll be through it in 28 days. Okay? Take a day off, start over. Don't take a day off. Keep reading. And I'll guarantee you within six months at the max, your life will ultimately change. Your language would change. Your thinking will change. Everything about you will change because you know what begins to happen? You begin to concentrate on the Word of God rather than what Fox News tells you or CNN or any of the mess out there. You start focusing here. It'll change that fast. I was dealing with a couple many years ago. They were arguing. And I mean arguing, fighting, dog, cats and dogs. The problem was they were focusing in on each other. They never had, they never read a Bible verse together until they sat down with me. And then I told them, I said, I want you to go home and list out for me the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel in the proper order, in the proper date sequence. And you know what happened? And you got a week. We're meeting back in a week. Now they come back. This is before Google, so they actually had to do it. You can Google this stuff now, so it doesn't really work. And you know what happened? I asked them, I said, how was your week? Did you argue? And they said, no. And I said, do you know why? She goes, yeah, I'm just too busy trying to figure out the king stuff. I said, no, you were too busy because you were reading the word of God. Your focus was where it should have been all along. I didn't talk to them about verses, about roles and all that, which is what Ephesians 5 and 6 is. We've done that. Just to do what? You're not thinking. Let's get the thinking right. Let's get back over here. Why? Because a walk of faith is where you're supposed to be at, where you are, what you do. The adversary just comes along. You know what he tries to do? Let's just be a little degree off. Okay? You ought to be thankful for the all spiritual blessings. Not just in lip service, but in life living. He looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to remember. Stir up that unfeigned faith. Stir that stuff up, man. Timothy was down in the dumps. He was depressed. He was having great ministry issues. And you know what Paul didn't you know what Paul didn't say? Come on over here and let's sit down and you know see the counselor. Paul said, remember who you are. Don't be ashamed of the message or the messenger. Remember that. 
And you look around the world about us today, that's a great struggle. I'm with you. I see it. You know, I see the stuff. I am not oblivious. It used to control my thinking quite a bit until one day, sitting all alone, I was like, you know what? That's pretty stupid. <laughs> Sorry. And just make an adjustment. Not because I'm better than you or any different than you, because I was ready to go to Matt with some of you on your side, by the way. But the thing is, is that in the hill of beans, that means nothing. In the scheme of life, it doesn't mean what mean what are you going to do for eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? And then how are you going to spend eternity? You need to know that. You need to know that if you died today, you would spend eternity in heaven. And how that happens is by faith and faith alone in the blood of the cross. It isn't walking an aisle. It isn't shaking my hand. It isn't giving me a hug. It isn't doing anything but in the privacy of your heart. Faith is a private matter between you and God where you acknowledge, where you in your heart say, I need a Savior. Because I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell and I don't want to do that. Old saying, old preacher one time said, better to be hell, hell scared than hell scorched. And that's true. You need to understand, and it's by faith. Again, there's nothing you can do. He did it all. And then for those of us who are saved, who do know where we're spending eternity, we got to know how to live. We need to understand our walk. We need to understand what we ought to be about, our ambassadorship. And anything other than that is just filler for the moment. Because in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all of that is gone. So if you're here today and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you need to figure that out. You need to get there. And we'll spend some time with you over an open book and do that. If you're here today and you've got to figure out your walk, come back next week. We'll get on board and we'll get going with it. Okay? But you can start by reading three chapters a day, Romans of Philemon. Because when you get into Romans 6, 7, and 8 and your identification, I'll tell you what. Can I take a minute? I'm sorry. Opening my heart up to you as your pastor. Nine out of ten of your problems come from a lack of understanding of who you are in Christ. Come from a lack of really understanding your identity. When we studied through Romans 6, 7, and 8 in first hour, I spent more time than probably I ought to on these issues. And the reason is, is because sin does happen. What do I do with it? Romans 6 answers that. Well, what do I do about a performance system? Romans 7 answers that. I can't defeat this flesh guy. Romans 8 deals with that. See, the answers are right there. You know where we go? We go out here looking for answers. The answers are right here. You want to have some of your problems solved, just let me know. We'll sit and talk. I'll show you where to go. But you can go there. Three chapters a day, Romans of Philemon. Okay? All right. I love every one of you more dearly than you think, and I'm here to be a helper of your joy. We, do, we will look at verses if you do come, but I also look at some other things on how to help you think about these verses, okay? Because the adversary, your job is to participate in that plan of God for the heavenly places. 
the adversary goes, let's just take it, click it over, get you doing something else, and not have that become a reality in your life right now. Your eternal life started the moment you trusted Christ. Now you're learning how to, what's going to happen and what I need to do, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for all that we have in your Son. And to say thank you just seems to be not enough, but it is all that you require for us to say. And Lord, I just pray that we would rejoice evermore in you and in who we are in you and give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that and exalt you as you are our Savior, as you are our head, and as you are our mind. And saying that in our lives on a daily basis as we go in this life, living for you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to.